You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Ross Steele. But today, my message, my sermon uh, title for today is Banished Ones. Um, and as we saw in the word, he's talking about uh, his banished son. We see uh, David banishing his son for, for a long time after not seeing him. And uh, in many cases of our lives, there are times where we have felt like or been the banished ones. And I wanna speak to the heart of somebody here today because I believe that this morning there was, uh, just for me personally, I just wanna share for me personally this morning, uh, as I was leaving the house and getting ready and doing my devotions and stuff, I just had to, uh, I just had to get my heart right, and, and usually I don't play worship music on Sunday mornings because I know I'm going to come in here and worship, but I listen to like podcasts or sermons or whatever, and uh, this morning I just felt like I really needed to get my heart right to deliver this message because I know that there's going to be somebody here, that the, somebody or multiple people here that the Lord is going to move, the Lord is going to touch you and, 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 and show himself to you, and I believe he's going to manifest his presence here in this place today, and I, and I am expecting that today. So I just had to get my own heart right because I felt like I was kind of, little nerves were coming up for some reason, which, yeah, I, like I may be up here, I may look comfortable and natural, but there are some days where I'm just like, I don't feel good about this one, and I get a little nervous. But today, I'm relying only on the strength of the Lord, only on the wisdom of the Lord, and that's what we're gonna do here in this place, amen? All right, let's start in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse one says, now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was inclined toward Absalom. What does this mean? This means that Joab discerned that David, he was concerned for Absalom. His heart longed for Absalom. He hadn't spoken to him some time, but then his pride got in the way, and he says, I'm not really going to reach out to him, even though it's really his duty as the father and the king to initiate that, that reconciliation. But he, he's, feeling, uh, he's feeling concerned for Absalom. How, how is my son doing? And we're coming off of how he's murdered his other son, Amnon, for, the, the, for, for Amnon raping his sister Tamar. So we've been walking through a whole mess of things, but we've recognized that generationally, the, these, these sins, these curses are coming upon this family because of David's sin and uh, his lack of repentance up to this point. And we'll see more great things come, but, but, uh, but we're gonna continue on in 2 Samuel uh, 14, verse two says, Joab sent to Tekoa and brought a wise woman from there. What, what we, why did he go and, and bring a wise woman? Well, he's trying to, Joab's trying to finesse his way, uh, essentially. He's trying to finesse David into bringing Absalom back. And he, he realizes he's not gonna listen to him, so he needs to go get uh, a, a wise woman. And so he does that. And, and Joab also remembers that David listens, and he's moved by stories and parables. We see a couple chapters back, David is confronted, uh, prophet Nathan comes and gives a parable, and, and then David's like, oh, you should do this, and, and Nathan goes, well, that's you. You are that one. So that's what we're seeing here, essentially. This is another story. It's another parable. This wise woman, essentially, she makes up this story, and just to connect with David, and then once she kind of digs in and traps David, then, he's, then, then she, she's going to turn around, and she says, and she's going to say, well, this is you then why haven't you done this for your own son, but you're gonna do it for my son? How are you gonna, how are you gonna give grace and forgiveness here and, and, and help me reconcile with my family, but you're not gonna do it for your own? That doesn't, that doesn't add up. So this is what we're gonna get here. And Joab, essentially, he's manipulating uh, the king to soften his heart. 
He uses this wise woman. He uses this story of, of this woman and his, her sons and, and how she's lost everybody. And then she only had two sons. And then one son ends up killing the other. And so he's softening it because he can, he can connect. He can relate with her. But essentially, Joab's just using it to manipulate the king to be able to bring Absalom back home. And we continue in verse four. Uh, we continue in verse four here. Whoa, hello. There we go. Hey, give it up for Alex for saving me because I just glitched. Uh, verse four, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, help, O king. Why is this such a big deal? It's because if, if one person at this time, if one felt that they weren't treated fairly by the local judges, they had access to the king himself, which is crazy to think about. That's like, you know, if we felt like our our judges, local judges, Supreme Court justices, like they, they didn't, that we could go to the president himself and just lay, prostrate and just lay before them. We could just lay before, uh, before the president and, and, and beg for mercy or, or something. That's essentially what's happened here. But it's also a good reminder that this hasn't changed. Like this is Old Testament. This is a long time ago. But as they have access to the king himself, we also have access to himself, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that is a, needs to be a reminder for us because sometimes we can, we can get down on ourselves and, and we may beat ourselves up. We may sit in shame or guilt. Uh, and, and that's just the enemy playing and condemnation. But we can come and we can prostrate ourselves before the King of kings and the Lord of lords himself to find refuge, himself to find healing, to find redemption. We've already, we've, we already received that through Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that needs to be our reminder today that we have access to him. We have access to him. We can, we can continue in verse 11. Then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God so that the avenger of blood will not continue to destroy. Otherwise, they will destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. I highlighted avenger of blood because many people may not know what it is, but avenger of blood is really somebody who has the responsibility to avenge the death of family. And this time, they, they, they had one person, basically, they say, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna be the avenger of blood. You have the responsibility to go avenge this death, and they handle it themselves. And, and you can go find refuge in, in the cities of refuge um, to, to get away from the avenger of blood, but, but this is what the avenger of blood uh, means. And then that second part of verse 11 is showing that David guarantees safety at the expense of justice. Because ultimately, the only difference between Absalom, or Absalom killing Amnon and then the, the made-up story of the daughter's sons, one is murder and one's premeditated murder. So in both cases, there should be justice to come through the king. And instead of giving justice to these, or giving justice, providing justice to this one son who had killed the son, then uh, David basically says, nothing's going to happen to your son. I, I will not bring justice, but yet he allows, uh, he allows justice to be taken by not letting Absalom basically return home and not even seeking after his own son at this point. So he guarantees safety at the expense of justice. And at this point, this is when the woman successfully traps David. That those words right there said, not, as long as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son will fall to the ground. She's got him right where she wants him. She set him up perfectly, and now she will, she, she's kind of got him in this spot, and now she's gonna pounce. She's gonna, she's gonna take over and be like, well, you know, why, why are you doing this for my son but not your own son? 
as I said before. But what made this woman's appeal so successful, ultimately? What was it about her that, that had really helped and allowed David to have mercy and, and bring the safety instead of the justice? The first thing is she's a widow. She invites, which as a widow, this invites sympathy. Uh, she lived far, so the, the, she had to travel far, so it makes it really kind of hard to, to, to fact check. You didn't have Google or nothing at that time. I mean, you, you had to really go and talk to people. I know it's hard to fathom, but you really had to go and talk to people, and the fact that she lived far made it really hard to fact check her story, so David just takes her at her word, and her old age provided dignity to her story. It, it showed that, it showed that there, there was much dignity to be taken upon her because of her old age, and then her clothes. She was wearing mourning clothes, and this heightened the effect, ultimately, of her story, and David compelling himself to, to want to listen to her and, and to take heart in her story. And then the case, ultimately, is the similar, family estrangement. You know, that David has this with, with his son, and, and, and uh, this woman wants, has, has family estrangement with, with her son. So he connects, he relates, and he feels personally involved because of the similarities. We continue in verse 13. The woman said, why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in speaking this word, the king is as one who is guilty, and that the king does not bring back his banished one. That's, she says it right there. Said the king is the one who's guilty. Who, who would talk to a, a king at this time? Like, you don't talk to a king like that. We recognize that the woman speaks boldly to confront sin of David. She speaks boldly to confront the sin of David. And we also have to recognize that we must be bold in confronting sin in our own life and those near to us. We must be bold as a church, as everything is steering away and, 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 and going essentially going woke. We have to remain grounded in the truth of the word of God and truth of the gospel and speak boldly when we confront sin, not be backed down because ultimately what the enemy, the enemy tries to be the loudest voice in the room, then everybody backs down and, and, and makes it seem like that's the most truthful thing. That's not the case. The loudest person in the room isn't always the most truthful or the most honest. We must stand firm on the foundation of our relationship with Jesus and our knowledge of the scriptures to confront sin not just in other people's lives, but also our own life. Also our own life. David had a responsibility to initiate reconciliation. As the king and as a father, you have a responsibility to reconciliate. That is, that is your duty. I fully believe that. Uh, you know, I pray that my kids would never have to need reconciliation. And never, there is never any estrangement. But I know that when we do, I, it is, I'm gonna take that responsibility. And David didn't, just, not just as a king, but as a father. How many fathers in this room would just allow that to go with, with, without any type of trying to, to reconcile the, 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 the loss of a relationship of a, of a, of a son or a daughter? That's just, that's, that's, not, that's not gonna happen. I know the hearts of the men here, and that, that's just not in your, your, your grasp. That, that's not something you would do, but yet David does. This is his responsibility. We continue in verse 14. For we, we will surely die and are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. Not only did the woman speak boldly, but the woman spoke wisely to David about the urgency of reconciliation. 
says that, says that uh, water right here in uh, verse 14 cannot, it's like, uh, like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Spilled water, you can't, you can't pick it back up. It goes into the ground, right? That's the urgency we need to have with reconciliation in the areas where we need to reconcile. And, and, and there is an urgency in it, and this is what the woman, she's speaking wisely now. She speaks boldly, and then she speaks wisely to this so that maybe David will wake up and see that, oh, I need a sense of urgency. I need to repair this relationship with my son. And in the same way, God reconciles us by satisfying justice, not by ignoring justice. We, we all are guilty. We're guilty of sin. And we've seen it since the fall of man. We've seen that, that everybody that walks, except for one person, Jesus, has been guilty of sin. We're still bound by the law, except the fact, the only difference is that Jesus has already fulfilled the law. So he doesn't ignore justice by sending his son to cover our sins. He satisfies justice with the person of Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 14, two says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's a reminder for us that if we must be banished, may we be his banished ones. Because we're gonna, we're gonna have that in our lives one time or another, when it, whether we're picking up and just starting our relationship with the Lord or just starting our relationship with Jesus or we've been in it for years there are going to be times, there are going to be people in our lives, and oftentimes maybe people closest to us who, who may want to banish us, want to push us out because of the way we're choosing to live, because we're pursuing a holy lifestyle, uh, 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 pursuing behavioral holiness. Well, I've been walking through, um, uh, and one of the life groups I'm leading is, is the awe of God. And, and so every day there's about uh, five of us that meet Bill, uh, my wife Kelsey, um, Tabitha and Rebecca, we've been walking through it. And it's been, it's been really fun just seeing, just because there's questions at the end. It's just like a 30-minute call or whatever. And it's, it's really, really insightful. But yesterday we were talking about how, how we already have the position of holiness, but we need to be pursuing the behavior of holiness. And a lot of times we get it mixed up that we can't have the position without the behavior. But because of Jesus, we already have the position. And it's our duty to, to chase after, renewing our mind, renewing our heart. And this is kind of what it reminds me of. If we are the banished ones, then we may be his banished ones. We have the position already. We are already a son and daughter of the Most High. We are children of God. If you have accepted Christ in your life, you are a child of God. If you haven't made that decision yet, you are not yet. You, you gotta be adopted into the family. And that's just the, that's the truth of the matter. But you can any time in your life make that decision. You can sign the paperwork right there, just in your room. You can do it right here at church. You can do it, you can do it at a gas station. I've done it at a grocery store with somebody one time. It was random and weird, but the Lord led me there and it happened. Like, there, you don't have to have the, the perfect atmosphere to make it happen. But there is urgency because the Lord will one day, Jesus will return. He will return. And we have to be ready. We continue on in verse 19. Your servant, Joab, who commanded me. And it was he who put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. We already know this. Joab orchestrated this plan with 
unique precision. He knew how to manipulate the king. He knew exactly what he needed. He knew the type of person that needed to be the one delivering the message. So he did it with great precision. Now, he was loyal to David, but it wasn't selfless loyalty. It wasn't selfless loyalty. He knew what it would gain him. Ultimately, he's trying to position himself to be in good favor of the king. And if it's not gonna be David, then whoever is gonna fulfill the throne. So by bringing Absalom home, he believes I can be in good favor with David and Absalom so that whenever David's done here and he dies, then Absalom takes over, then I position myself in a great place. And we continue on in verse 21 here. Then the king said to Joab, behold now, I will surely do this thing. Go therefore, bring back the young man, Absalom. See, Absalom's reconciliation with David would hopefully prevent a rebellion. Keyword, hopefully prevents a rebellion. We're gonna to continue to walk through 2 Samuel. We're gonna see what actually happens, what, what Absalom does. But the hope is that I'm gonna bring my son back. We're gonna reconcile and there will be no rebellion. They're, they're, like Everything will be settled. But as we see at the end of the text we're covering today in verse 24 is that he says he, says he doesn't want, he wants to hide his face from his son. So he doesn't even wanna see his son. Hey, you can come back, but, uh, but I, don't, I don't want him to see me. That, that's messed up, that's twisted, it doesn't make sense, right here. However, the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house and did not see the king's face. We notice here that David was overindulgent at first and then became too harsh. We see him being overindulgent with Amnon after he rapes Tamar by not doing anything. He, he brings, there's no justice to be had. Vengeance. So then Absalom has to go and take revenge ultimately. It wasn't justice, that was vengeance. And, and we've already discussed that, but so he's overindulgent with Amnon and then Absalom goes and does this, kills his brother Amnon and then, uh, and then now he's too harsh. So he, he's trying to figure out the balance and I know, you know, n- nobody is in here perfect to know exactly how to respond or how to react, but I would sh- certainly believe that most of us could probably look at the situation if it happened to us and, and make better decisions. So now he's too harsh. And this brings us to the fact that discipline properly or we overcompensate in the name of toughness. This is how it can be as parents. I, I've talked with people before. I'm not a parent myself. I've been disciplined a lot by my parents and that's just the truth of the matter. But I, I, I'm not a parent myself, but I know that we need to learn how to discipline properly. And in the way of the world, like everything's going crazy around us, discipline is a good thing. You know, and, and, and knowing how to do it properly will prevent that from overcompensating uh, in the name of toughness. Just as it would, have, it would have helped David here if he would have just disciplined properly the first time around. So what we also see here is that pride and stubbornness prevent us from true forgiveness and reconciliation. This is what happened with David. He's prideful. Ultimately, that pride, that, that stubbornness that, <laughs> that comes into his life, he decides, I'm gonna be stubborn. I'm not gonna take the first step. I'm too good for that. I'm the king. I shouldn't have to do that. But that is what has prevented this. That's what's made this whole debacle going on in, the king, in, 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 in his kingdom right here is that he was too prideful and he was too stubborn to say, I was wrong. 
We've all been there at a time or another. And maybe you're here today and, and, and you're, you're like that already. Maybe you walked in here and you know, oh, that, that speaks to my heart. God can redeem that. God has redeemed that. And that's not, we don't have to live in pride. We don't have to live in, live in stubbornness. Leading and, and, and being authentic and just admitting when you're wrong can go, can go a long way. It can go a long way. Believe me, I've been on the other side of it, of pride and stubbornness. And now it's like, oh, if I'm wrong, I'm just wrong. And I may not like it. I may, I may be like, well, that's like, I may beat myself up over it or whatever, but like, I was wrong there. And oftentimes it's the spirit that convicts me and, and, and me being wrong in many situations. But I know it's far better than holding on to it and just being private, just to be right, just for the desire to be right. What is that about? Honestly. This is what else comes up out of this is that the gospel is not just a New Testament idea. We know that the, the gospel, we, we reference the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's New Testament, but it's not just a New Testament idea. We see this right here in 2 Samuel. We see the gospel text that may we, may we be banished ones, that he's already come and he's, he's provided a way so that we aren't banished. This is what we see here. And, and this, is, this is long before Jesus, Jesus returns, but it's also another reminder to us that Jesus himself comes from the lineage of David. So we see all this wickedness that's going on already here in 2 Samuel, and you can sit back and think, wait, Jesus came from these people? That should be an encouragement to us to show us that God can and he will use anybody. Only if we allow him. We gotta let them, we gotta surrender our lives. We have to surrender our own desires and allow him to take the throne of our lives. Under the chastening of God, we may feel like banished ones. We may feel like banished ones. But as I said already, that God devised a way to bring us back to him. This is Old Testament that leads up. It, it, it foreshadows what we're gonna see in the New Testament with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All the miracles, everything. And it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful picture. If you can wrap your, wrap your mind around it and you, can, and you can picture that. It's so beautiful for our lives. Because Jesus stood in place of guilty sinners hung on the cross and received the punishment that we deserved. We deserved the cross. We deserved the piercing in our side. We deserved the, 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 the whipping. We deserved the suffering. But Jesus stood in our place of guilty sinners, past, present, future. You may not like people in your life. You may disagree with a lot of people in your life, but Jesus still died for them. And if only we could show them the love of Jesus through our actions, if we could show them the love of Jesus by accepting them and loving them through their decisions, not affirming them. There's a big difference. If we could show the love of Christ, we could show them the love of Christ. And then, and then oftentimes, it, people look at us. We're called to be the salt and light. People are gonna look at us to see how is it that these people's lives are so great? 
And it's not to say that once you give your life to the Lord, everything's fine and dandy. It's just we have a new hope. We have a fresh hope in our lives. No matter what comes our way, we have hope. We see all the wars and all the crazy wickedness going around us here in, in the United States, but all over the world, we see everything that's going on. And it's, it's scary for a lot of people. But being in relationship with Jesus gives us a new hope. And we get to make the decision for our lives every single day. I'm gonna live my life for the Lord today. Brings us to the, I, I said it uh, during our evangelism message, that conversation, I wish you had my hope. I wish you had my peace. I wish you had my peace. In the times that we're living in, y'all, it's easy to see media, news outlets, all this stuff going on, but it's easy for us to say, this, we're, we're damned. There's too much going on. I don't know how to live anymore. I don't know how to function. And it can be a scary, fearful thing that we do, that we step into that. But all you gotta say to these people who come to you and say, how are you so at peace with everything that's happening? Let me tell you about Jesus. It's as simple as that. The door opens for you. You don't have to kick a door down. They already unlocked it and opened it. Just let me tell you about Jesus. I wanna give an opportunity today. There's a lot of guests here and there's people who've been coming for a long time that I know still haven't necessarily made that decision to be in a relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, I say, I say a relationship with Jesus a lot, and it's because I need people to recognize it is about a relationship. It's not about religion. It's all about a relationship. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to have it all figured out before you make the decision. You just gotta make the decision. God will work out the details. It's not our details to figure out. Just trusting in him. So we were encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.